Yo, what up? Who's there? Mobile homies, live. Who's there? Got my man Grouch coming up. Where he at? One minute. How y'all doing? My homie Grouch. Where he at? Tap in with me, Grouch. Hey! There he is. How you doing? Good, man. What's up with you? Damn, I'm good. I gotta turn up my ball. I gotta get my volume right real quick. Okay. Yeah, me too. All right. I think I think it's good now. Okay. Yeah. How are you, man? Man, I'm having fun already. This, Where are you? This, I'm in Southern Cali, LA. Okay, you're you're in LA. Yep. You wear glasses now? Oh man, I was I was uh, chopping some lumber at the house, and I didn't want to get any uh, sawdust in my eyes. And then I came in here, turned on my ring light, and was like, "Damn, I almost look like I'm in a video." <laughs> Shit! Grass came off, though. I was like, "Grass came in with some blasting goggles." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you do this. Yeah. How are you, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm you know interesting times, extraordinary times. Yes. Trying to you know make the best of it and and do my thing and and do my you know raise my daughter and make my music and you know be nice to the people around me. That's all I'm really really doing out here. You know. How are you feeling? I'm good, man. I'm all right. Thank you for asking. You know, like. I know you and a lot of people know you as like a very deep thinker, like a philosophical guy. You know what I'm saying? A very like a this, OK, this, this is this is how I see you. And I know a lot of your fans see you, and a lot of the people I know see you like. Yeah. And so and, and like you said, we are living in interesting times. I know that you see things that other people don't. You, you, I mean, you might think that it's kind of funny that people think that about me because I feel like I'm the most basic, simple, almost <laughs> dumb motherfucker that there is, you know, but like, are you saying you're huh? a simple man? Yeah, right. I'm a simple man. And like, I, I just think about things really basic and like I, I try to go with what I feel. And so I think that that feeling is what leads me to like insight. And I think that I, I, I'm good at listening to myself or whatever voice, you know, whatever source that I'm tapped into. Um, but it always comes in a very basic message. And it's just like, you know, be nice to people. Right. You know what I mean? And then I and then I'd like try to write that into a whole verse. And it turns out maybe sounded deep, you know. Yeah. But really, it's like, you know, simple, basic rules of life. Yeah. But but even that. I mean, that's yeah. exact, that's exactly what I'm talking about, because there is depth in simplicity. And yeah. I felt like just me knowing you as a person and, and in your music, I felt like you've always captured that that depth in simplicity. Well, I mean, I, I learned that from listening to other rappers. And that's just something that I I, I always think about that concept of like, um, how can you tell the largest story in the fewest amount of words? And so guys like Andre 3000 have done that. And like, I've listened and I've been like, man, that's like, those are the moments that really hit me when I hear it from other people. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, when I go to write, I'm like, how could, how can I do that? I don't need, you know, I'm, I, I never was a double time rapper. So it's right. like, I'm, I'm using less words anyway. Yeah. And then it's like, I, I also I also love the concept um, when people talk about music and they say, I, I don't know exactly how they word it, but they say that um, a large part of music is like the spaces in between the notes. Yeah. You know? Yes. And so I like those are the things that like resonate with me, even like less is more, even the saying less is more. 100%. You know? Yeah. So so that's something that I've always like practiced and been drawn to. And I think that that's what comes out in my music. Well, I, you, you know, it's fun. That's a, like a very Zen approach. You know what I mean? I mean, that's I, I feel that. Yeah. Because when you the less you say, the more people focus on what's actually being said. Correct. You know what I mean? And Correct. and I, I felt like, you know, that that use of space like in your style, just that use of empty space, like the notes that aren't there, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. to me, the, the the opposite approach would be somebody like Gab, you know, who's like, right. 
Super right. dense. Right. Super dense from start to finish. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's great. That's that's a style. You know? And, yeah. And, like, the listener is going to have to, like, put in a lot of work to try to figure out all that stuff. Right. You know what I mean? And then you're like mind blown, you right. know. Yeah, there's different different approaches. Right. That's that's what's so beautiful. Yeah. So like when you listen to Gab, you have to wear those glasses that you were just wearing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Cause she and turn on the and turn on the ring and turn on the ring light and all that. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Right. Right. And, and and I think that that to me is as an artist is really what makes you special man you know it's just that 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 less is more approach your voice is very distinctive like people know a grouch song a grouch verse a grouch same, same goes for you bro i want to say okay you know I mean? thank you man thank you voice stands out for sure thanks man so and let me ask you this because um i, I know you We've yep. together. We've done show. Obviously, we're both from the Bay Area. I there's a lot of things that I don't know though. There's a lot that I don't know and that I want to, know, you know. Okay. And you, you're an Oakland native. I am born and raised. Yes, sir. Uh, I've lived all over Oakland. My mom was with my stepdad when I was young. She was never with my dad, and and their relationship was kind of rocky. He was an alcoholic my stepdad, and my mom had three kids with him. I had a different father, so there was four kids, and my stepdad was, like, in and out of the picture. Mm. So there there was a time when we lived in the hills in Oakland, yeah. and life was good. And then there was a time when we lived, you know, below MacArthur, off of High Street, and life was interesting, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and you know, we lived by the lake, and we lived in all these different places. I've lived in Alameda at my grandmother's old house. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I, and we did all that while I was young. And so I feel like I saw, I got a good taste of Oakland and I learned, I, I, I learned to like feel it out really well. And so like Oakland will always be like my home, even though I moved out of there when I was 22. Yeah. And have never really lived there again. Yeah. And that's some time ago. Yeah. What, you went to Skyline? Did you go to Skyline High? I went to Bishop O'Dowd and Skyline. Okay. I, 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 I didn't do well in school, so uh, Bishop O'Dowd didn't want me to stay there. But while I went to Bishop O'Dowd, yeah. one of your crew members, uh, Latif, yeah. was there. Yes. And we we had some, like, uh, I, I'm a soccer player as well. And so, like, Latif was playing some soccer at that point. And so I had, like, some interaction with him there. Yeah, on the soccer field, and then also Tajay from Hyro was going to Bishop O'Dowd. Right. See now, yeah. now this is really interesting about the underground hip hops, the East Bay underground yep. hip hop scene, particularly in the '90s and the 2000s. Right. Four high schools come up over and over again. Right. Right. O'Dowd, Berkeley High, Berkeley High, and St. Yeah. Mary's. So yep. I went. I went to Berkeley High, O'Dowd, and St. Mary. You went to O'Dowd? I went to O'Dowd for one year. I, I was at Berkeley High, huh? and I think I was there with, with the other Corey from Mystic Journeyman. At Berkeley High? I think so. I think he was there for a sh very short time. With yeah, I think, uh, you might be right. I don't know for sure. Yeah. I know he mostly went to Skyline, but yeah, he could have gone to Berkeley, too. For a very short, like, like a book, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And any... East Bay native, underground, 90s, or rapper that got their start like in the 90s or the 2000s. Came out of those schools. Came out of those four schools. Sometimes two out of the four, I feel like. You know what I mean? That's right. For what, sure. What, what do you think it was, particularly about Skyline? Because Skyline produced a shit ton of rappers. A yeah. shit ton of rappers. Yeah. I don't know, bro. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I just feel like I don't think it was necessarily the school. I think that the like do it yourself creative ethic was just in the bay already. Yeah. And I think that Skyline was just one of those schools that people wanted to go to because it was up on the hill and they heard that they had pretty girls or whatever it was. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just had this reputation already. And so it's like, I think that like a lot of people just like um, were magnetized by that and ended up, right. you know, you know, like a lot of the cool people just ended up 
getting in that school. Right. You know, because you went to Skyline. Latif went to Skyline. Most of High Road went to Skyline. Yeah. Casual, OPO, Adam, A plus, um, Dell. Yeah. Those Were guys. all y'all there at the same time? Sort of. I, I was a little bit younger than Dell. Like, I don't, I, I, Dell wasn't there when I got there, but, um, a plus, OPO, casual. I had classes with casual. Yeah. You know, yeah. I wanted to be like casual who, and I was, I was younger. Who didn't want to be yeah, like that? Yeah. Bro. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. So I was like, I was actually excited to be in the class with casual. Right. You know? I, mean, I was already, I was already like semi. I mean, I also went to, I also went to Montero junior high with some of these guys too. And so I had seen them. Even, you know, even maybe before they picked up a pen and started rapping, I used to watch these guys just playing football or doing whatever, yeah. you know, at school. And I thought they were cool guys. Right. But um, but I was younger, and I wasn't as cool as them. And so <laughs> I uh, I was observed. Nobody was. Nobody yeah, was as cool as I when yeah. we were kids. Nobody was, man. No. no. Uh, I remember Casual had, like, a Louis Vuitton fanny pack with a beeper and, like, I was just like, wow, how do you get that shit? Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> that was like in that was like in eighth grade. Right. Know? I remember because I went to, when I was at St. Mary's, yeah. Festo was there. I went to Fe yep. St. Mary's with Festo. Yep. And he had the triple fat goose with he had a like straight from East Mont Mall. Right. 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 He had the triple fat, brown triple fat goose with the furry cop. First day of school, brown cross courts. Man. Brown valleys. Yeah. You know, valleys. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, Yeah, nobody, I just remember, and I just remember feeling like they were so advanced for our age. So advanced. They were so good. You know what I mean? Like, it was crazy. It was crazy. I don't even know how they got like that. Really, it was it was like a. I feel like they started a Bay Area revolution in a lot of ways. There, there had to be like the Ice Cube older cousin. Yeah. Like just the not not even the influence, but that that had to like motivate them right. in some way. I think, and then like the bar was for like Dell was probably like elevated already. Yeah. Partially because he's an amazing human to start with, right. and. Then, Second, his cousin is Ice Cube. Yes. So, and then it's like everybody else he hangs around with has to like step up to somewhere on that level. Right. You know I mean? Right. Okay. So I think I started, well, I used to go, let's talk about like, like sort of the origin, you know what I mean? Because yeah. you go to living, Le uh, not living legend, yeah, but like mystic journeyman motherfucking house parties in, right. in warehouses like kind of in that area where the ghost ship fire was you yeah, know, that, yeah. this was probably yeah. like late 80s early 90s we were kids man you yeah, know? This, this is when like live workspaces in those areas really even started existing right you know I mean? yes and that all became like popular shit I mean, I guess the artist community always liked those kind of warehouse <laughs> convergent spaces. Right. But, you know, I, but nowadays it's like blown up to like a whole nother level. Yeah. With that stuff, especially in Oakland. But, but yeah, you going to those parties is probably pre my time for sure. Cause I didn't, I, I wasn't at the early Mystic Journeyman part. So, uh, okay. So that's what I'm trying to like, I'm trying to trace the whole lineage. You know what I mean? Because, that's how I and like I said, I think I knew Corey Corey from Mystic Journeyman very very briefly, you know, from Berkeley. Huh? And yep. the next thing I know, there was this group called Mystic Journeyman, and then next thing I know, it was sort of like this bigger crew called the Living Legends, right? You know, and then one day, it was it, it was probably like ninety six or ninety seven, uh huh, and. Soul, we had, we had all moved back to the Bay from Davis, and so we had this little office, Soulside office, right off of town, you know. I think you're talking about this same day that I was going to talk about, too, but go ahead. <laughs> so I just remember, and we used to walk up to Telegraph all the time. Yeah, yeah. And Tommy from Mr. Journeyman says, this is this is the new dude in our crew, or something to that effect. You know? mm. He's like, this yeah. is the new dude in our crew, this is Crouch. 
And yeah. back when everybody used to hang out on Telegraph. Right. I remember this. I, I, I have this picture in my mind. I remember that day. I remember you guys walking up Telegraph mm. as we were already like there playing. We had like boom boxes and our tapes and shit. And we were like selling them. And we were like, you know, yeah, we had our little crew around us. And then, you know, Tommy's probably telling me before you even arrive, he's like, here comes lyrics born and you know soul sides or whoever i don't know everybody who you were with honestly i remember meeting you mostly yeah at that that day i don't remember everything about it but mm -hmm. i just remember being there on telegraph meeting you and before that i had heard mostly what i knew from your crew um honestly was like uh swan lake yeah you know what i mean yeah. like that's Right. That's, I used to listen to KZSU Stanford every Sunday, the drum, with uh, DJ Kevy Kev. Shout like, to religious. Yeah. I, I, I would tape it on cassettes, you know, every single week. Right. And that's where, that's where I first heard Swan Lake. Okay. And I don't know what year that was, but then, then I met up with Journeyman, and then they started giving me the rundown on, like, other crews. And, 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 and they would be like, well, Soul Sides has lyrics born. Latif, I didn't know about DJ Shadow until like later. I didn't put all the pieces together, but that's you three MCs is what I what I knew. So what year is that that, that you meet Mystic Journeyman? I honestly I don't know the year. I I think it would either be ninety four or ninety five. Okay, yeah, ninety four or ninety five. It maybe maybe even ninety three. Okay, because ninety three is the year that I graduated high school, and I yeah. I was introduced to Mystic Journeyman by a girl that I went to high school with. Yep. So I think that I probably was still in high school when I met them, but like at the tail end, 93. Yes. And she just, she just like, I always wanted to, well, not always, but I don't want to go into the whole story of like too, too much before that. But like I had got with another homie of mine and we were like making little demo tapes. Right. And then this mutual friend girl, that I knew and, and Corey knew kind of, she knew my passion for it. And so she was like, here are some guys who are throwing their own shows, making their own tapes, selling them, and just like thinking out of the box because everybody was making demo tapes at that time to like try to serve to labels and get signed. That's right. Yeah. And so when I met them, I was like, my first of all, my music wasn't good enough or developed enough to go get a record deal. And when I met them, I was like, okay, this is something that I could get with like this. Right. These concepts, these ideas of like doing it yourself and then like standing behind your art, like yeah. figuratively and, and literally right. like on the app. You know what I mean? Right. Making Kinko's copies and dubbing tapes in the house and like that. Okay. Yeah, it was kind of like arts and crafts. And then it was like, you know, go, go try to serve it to somebody. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and that and uh, that day on Telegraph, Tommy gave me your take. You didn't yeah. give me your take. Tom, you were right there. But Tommy. Yeah, I, was, I was probably too shy. Yeah. I mean, I was like, I was, I was a baby. Yeah. You know, in the game. Yes. You know? And, and yeah. that, that was kind of the vibe that I got is, you know, here's a dude that's kind of shy, you know. And, yeah. But that and and Tommy put your tape in my hand, and I still have that tape. Really? I yeah. Still have that tape, and it was it, the J card was hand drawn. Yeah. With your character, your logo. Yeah. Yep. The um, does he have a name? No, you don't really have a name. Okay. I mean, yeah. That dude. <laughs> that dude. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was drawn in ink pen. Yeah, and I and and looking back on it now, that was a hundred percent bona fide Bay Area real underground. Shit. I mean, it, it didn't it didn't get more authentic than that at that time. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, I think it was on like a Max L. Yeah, for sure. Crazy man. I mean, it's crazy. I was in my mom's basement the other day, yeah. and I found like the my mother load of tapes. <laughs> and it's like this huge, like, I still got to go through it. But it was like, it brought me back. Like, I re these tape. I mean, I got them right. I got them right here, you know? Shit that, shit that looks like that, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Shit like that. Exactly. That's, yeah. yes. 
Yeah, like, you know, yes. these, these things that like start out as something and then you put tape over the hole and you turn it into something else. Right, you know? that's right. Uh, yeah, and, and and the thing that was so amazing about the what you guys did was that I, I have never, I mean, this was the most independent crew, the most independent crew that I ever seen. You know what I mean? It was like, you guys were throwing your own shows. You guys were sending yourselves overseas. I mean, we used to hear all these stories like, like, oh, Living Legends just flew to Australia and they crashed a club. Yeah, I mean, I mean, literally what we would do is stand on Telegraph and collect five dollar bills yes. until we until we had enough money to go to it was called sta travel and it was right there like uh across the street from rasputin's down the street or something right and it, and it was it was a student travel yeah um agency and we weren't students but we would go in there and say we were students and we would get these student discount prices on tickets yeah you know, yeah before the before the internet, right? You know what I'm saying? Or like right as it was hitting, like before you're like buying tickets on the internet. Of course. So like we go into the actual travel agency, like literally, like we would stand out there and be like, "How much you got?" And he'd be like, "I got, you know, I got 350." I'd be like, "I got, you know, 280. I need to make another 120, and then I'm going over there and I'm buying my ticket." Mm. You know, yeah. like, uh, and and that's what like we were just like. We wanted to be worldwide. Yes. We wanted to be, and like we had to bring it worldwide. Yeah. Physically in our own backpacks, in our own hands. Yeah. In order to do so. And, um, and that's what we would do. We'd buy our tickets. And then, like, I mean, I remember landing in England with like $40 in my pocket. You know? <laughs> like, literally. Like, we're, we were sharing, we were sharing cheese, tomato, <laughs> and lettuce sandwiches. Like we get like a, a foot long with no meat in it, cheese, lettuce, and tomato, and split it three ways. Like really, cause we'd, cause we'd all put our little money in and be like, yeah. oh, we got, we got $80 for the week, yes. you know? But we were in another country and like, and like we were doing crazy shit. Yeah. Like we, we would go, we would go to, we were in Amsterdam and we just, uh, you know, Farside was big. Right. And so they were on their first, you know, bizarre ride to the far side tour and they were on a label and they were getting treated right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they were and they had big shows all over the world. They were they were like doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I remember being in Amsterdam and just like kind of crashing their show, showing up in front of it and selling our tapes in front of their show. In Amsterdam. In Amsterdam, yeah. And and Tommy Lucky he knew those guys because they were from L.A., right. you know? Right. But but they know that we're not on a label, you know? They know that we're not, like, blown up or hella big. They just know we're, like, some scrappy little underground guys. Right. And then they see us in front of their show selling tapes. A lot of people would be mad about that, yeah. you know? But, but they were like, uh, oh, my God, what are you guys doing out here, you know? You guys got to open up for us tonight. You know, and they showed us love like that. And so we're in Amsterdam and they already have their big following. And then we get to perform in front of them. And then we're like, that's that's at the time where it's like people are open to new rappers. They're like hungry for new rappers that they haven't heard of. Yeah. You know what I mean, and so like we hit the stage and it's like we convert, all, uh, you know, there's a high conversion rate at that time. They're like, yeah. like, who the fuck are these guys? Right. We've heard of them. And they're like similar to yeah. Farside, you know? So, yeah, those are some of the stories. And that's that's some of the stuff we did early. But, I mean, that spirit, I, I, I feel like, I mean, just fast forwarding, you know, four, five, six, seven years later, that spirit continued. Like, I remember going into Amoeba or Rasputin's on the graph. And yeah. buyers, this is at some time after that, after that moment where you gave me that first take, right? Yeah. And the buyers would be like, Grouch was just in here, man. I just wrote him a ten thousand dollar check, man. He just it's real. Off it's like real. a million CDs. Yeah. 
I used to get a $10,000 check from Berkeley Amoeba and then drive across the bay and go to San Francisco Amoeba, hit them for seven, then go to Rasputin's up the street, hit them for four. You know what I mean? I, I used to just make the rounds. And it was like my, my whole thinking was, I was like, I'm not going to sell a million. I'm, I'm not a big artist. I'm not on the radio. I'm yeah. not going to sell a million units. Right. But I'm going to have 10 different albums and sell them 100 of each album yes you know what i mean and if i you know and, and back then we're like selling uh selling cds to amoeba for like 10 or 11 dollars you know what i mean each and so it's like a thousand dollars every title every time they're out of my shit and that's just and that's just one region of the country and that was one region yeah i mean that was that was the best region to yeah. be fair yeah but but it was happening in la big it was happening in New Mexico. It was happening in Texas, you know, Arizona, mm. all these different places. New York. I used to sell the Sandbox distribution in New York. I remember so we did all that stuff. Like, I used to get on the phone and be like, you guys want to buy tapes today? You guys want to buy CDs? This is what I got. Yeah. You know? And, uh, well, that you know, when you talk about L.A., there was a point, I remember, when all y'all moved to L.A., you know, yeah. what was that like early 2000s, late 90s, somewhere in there? When did we move to L.A.? I want to say, yeah, I want to say, yeah, somewhere around there. I don't know exactly. It's it's all a, it's all a blur, yeah. you know. But, um, but it was either like, it was probably around 99, 2000, mm -hmm. you know. We, what, the, the main catalyst for us moving to L.A. was kind of, uh, we would throw these parties called, broke ass summer jam of course yeah yeah most mostly they were like sunspots baby you know what i mean he had been doing it before living legends existed you know yeah and so already he was already building it and by the time living legends came it kind of just blew up to another level right you know what i mean it went from the warehouse parties to our main venue was maritime hall Mm -hmm. And so that was in San Francisco. It was right off the freeway. First exit. Easy to get to. Very historical venue. Historical venue. We watched, the, you know, anytime Busta Rhymes or fucking The Roots came or J. Rue the Damager, they played there. Right. And we knew the owners and they loved us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And we were throwing, we were selling out underground shows there. Right. Over and over and over and over and over again. It was amazing. It was yeah. fucking. It was fucking amazing. Like because I, I remember the broadcast summer jams. You know, right down the street from my mother's house at La Pena, yeah. which is where La Pena. At La Pena. Oh, La Pena. Yeah. Right. So I grew up four blocks from there. And I didn't so, know. Yeah. So I rem yeah. I remember those parties. Right. And then suddenly this shit just fucking exploded. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. so all of a sudden, yes. Y'all were doing Maritime Hall. All of a sudden, I would tour with y'all, and y'all were headlining House of Blues. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. it really caught fire, man. It really yeah. fucking caught fire. And you yeah. guys were selling more records and more tickets than a lot of people that had major label contracts at that time. It's true. Yeah, in certain spots, for sure. Right. For sure. And, Not and everywhere, but yes. Why do you think, in your opinion, why did it catch fire like that? Why why did it just sort of explode in popularity all of a sudden? Well, not all of a sudden. I mean, of course you guys were working hard, but because, what was because it about the movement? You want me to know, I mean, you want me to say what I really think? It's because we were, we were unrefined. We had like a I don't give a fuck attitude. Yeah. We had, we had a crew of like multicultural people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like we had a voice. We had a voice for like a lot of different types of people. Yeah. You know what I mean? That hadn't been represented um, the way that we were representing. Right. That's what I think, you know? And it was just like the, the DIY ethic thing. Like you say, it was authentic. Right. You know what I mean? A lot of people said they were independent. You know what I mean? But how independent were they all the were they all the way independent like to the bone like we were because we were that's that's one thing i will say yeah you know 100 uh, percent. 
So I, I think it was those things and just the timing, you know what I mean? And just like, I mean, even I got to give like credit to all the other crews that were like, that we were trying to be like too. Mm -hmm. Far side, hieroglyphics, soul sides, like this was all like, we looked at them as like, I w we want to be their peers. Mm. You know what I mean? And so we were offering our version of that. And, and I think that people were hungry for all that shit because it was, that was that whole movement that I just listed right there was like the California alternate, you know, uh, I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. Um, alt hip hop. Yeah, alt hip hop. I mean, like they, they had NWA and gangster shit before that. Right. You know what I mean, in California. Yes. Then, then came Freestyle Fellowship, Far Side, right. Hieroglyphic, Soul Sides. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it's interesting because all of those crews that you named, including Living Legends, <clears throat> yep. all had these totally separate identities. Yeah. I, mean, I got to say Hobo Junction in there, too. Hobo Junction. Yeah. I mean, as we were talking about Telegraph that, in that era, that they totally yeah. demised. So yeah, like that, that same day I met you, they were probably on another corner. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It, it's, hard to, it's hard to really explain to people. Like, I try to explain to my son now about yeah. that era, and he just doesn't tapes. Yeah. Yeah, he just doesn't get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And or or people people used to buy CDs, Daddy. You know, like he just. I mean, this, that's the crazy thing. I mean, we. I remember telling people who walked up on Telegraph. We had our boomboxes and we had our our copies of our CDs and our tapes, and we were holding the boombox and we'd be like, "This is me rapping right now." <laughs> <laughs> and they would and they would be like, "What?" Right. That's you, right? You know what I mean? Like it was crazy, like it was amazing, <laughs> and so, and so fast, fast forward, uh, yeah, fast forward, um, three years later, every motherfucker is on the, you know, everybody and their mom is on the corner with a CD Please. and a tape, yeah, and and people are walking by saying like, get the fuck out of my, out of my way, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it like it turned from a special cool thing into just a played out, you know, like, leave me alone guy. To an annoying thing. Yeah, to an annoying thing. And then it yeah. was like, I don't even want to take your CD if it's free at that point. That's, you know true. I mean? That's really true. But it, it's because so many crews like you guys popularized that aesthetic, you know, that DIY aesthetic. You know, it's yeah. interesting. Like, I... I um, Back in those days, there would be all kinds of crews assembled outside of record stores. You know, what yep. I mean? like they'd yep. be catching people as they would be coming in and out. You know, right now, or and if you went to LA, they'd be outside. You know, you see crews outside of Fat Beats or something like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. But now, when I go to LA or you know certain parts of the Bay. I see crews little uh, of kids, young people assembled outside of like the Odd Future store or clothing right. stores. You know what That's I mean? Right. Yeah, just different. The culture shifted. You know what I mean? The culture changed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Fairfax is like, you know, you're, that's where the Odd Future store is. Right. And that's like, that became the telegraph of LA, that's kind right. of. Yeah. But you're, but you're right. It's not based on music anymore, it's based on clothing. Yeah, but that's like you know. I I think that that's like uh, you know par for the course here in L.A. Yeah, and then also just with the times because right. it's like music can't be the the big thing anymore. It's like you gotta you gotta be cooking tempura, you know, on your, uh, <laughs> on your live. <laughs> you yeah, gotta be, uh, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You got you gotta have a food truck. You gotta have your your fashion line. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, your wilderness show or whatever. <laughs> and all that stuff. And then yeah. then maybe someone will listen to your music right. when they feel like it. It's like it's like you know, I'm gonna hold up this can, right? It's like music is a slice. It's, yeah, that's right. You, yeah. And then and then here's here like the grouch just said, here's your wilderness show. Yeah. Here's your tempura. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your clothing line. You feel me? Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's like 
it's it, it's more of like a it, it's um music is just one slice of that loaf now you know i feel like for it, it's it's crazy that it used to be like the whole thing like that could be the whole thing yeah the guy's amazing his music is dope he's amazing yeah like i wanted i want it all it's not enough it's like it's, it's not, not enough, enough right right and, and and speaking of which like one of the things that you did that i thought was really smart and really cool was um and you did what well, it was went for almost 10 years i think was how the grab stole christmas right You're, oh, yeah, i did it went for 12 years and oh. i think I, I think i lied and it really went for 11 years and like we counted it wrong or something like that but uh yeah we did it yeah i think i skipped a year and then it lasted 12 years that was that was great it was a good run i'm glad that i stopped it last year yeah otherwise i'd just be sitting out this year anyway <laughs> like the rest of the world right like the rest of the world yeah so now i don't gotta like worry about that but um yeah that was you know what that was was um honestly i didn't even come up with the title for that mm. but I, I was always against, I never wanted to just like be too, uh, like I always felt like my name was a little bit corny since it was like taken from the Sesame Street character. I mean, I, that's, that wasn't the inspiration, but there was already right. that character, you know? And so I never really wanted to draw too much attention to that name. And so I just, but it did work at the same time, yeah. you know? And it was like, who's this guy calling himself the Grouch? And so I, it, it put eyes on me. <laughs> but then, like, somebody else was like, hey, we want to throw a show for you this year called How the Grouch Stole Christmas. Uh -huh. and, yeah, and I thought that was, all right. I'm like, all right, that was my first time going to kind of, like, exploit the name in that way. Where, you know what I mean? Where was that first show? That was in Oakland on Broadway at some weird theater that was only open for like six months or I don't know, it could be open again. I, I forgot what they called it. It was an old theater right. in Oakland on Broadway mm -hmm. and it was an upstairs club and it was pretty big. Yeah. And, and I think it was my, my homeboy enzyme dynamite. Oh, exactly. came, yeah. Came up with that name. Yeah. And they were, they were like younger guys that were, had been influenced by me and they wanted to like throw this party around Christmas time. And then we did it and it went well. And then the next year I was like, I just want to continue that as a, as a theme in the winter, because in the winter, it, it was so weird that like, uh, back then people weren't touring all the time. Not every rapper was touring. And so it was like, almost like nobody was touring at that time. And so like, I had the whole market, like every time I would go out in December, Mad Lib wasn't out on the road, you know what I mean? Cunny linguists weren't out on the road. Right. It was like nobody. Yeah. Guy and I out, you know, it was me. Well, that's why I, I felt like it was so brilliant, you know, because yeah. it was like, this dude's doing a yearly tour. He's got no fucking competition on the calendar. Yeah, it's cold. Nobody wants to throw shows at that time <laughs> for some reason. Until everything until until it became you know that uh, it's it's almost like everybody knows you got a tour to make your money. Right. You know what I'm mean? like. That wasn't always the case because right. like we started when I started, all the money I made came from CD and tape sales, uh, and then I toured for fun. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. And so, and so that changed when MP3s came out. Yeah. Then it was like, no, now you have to tour and sell merch because everybody's downloading. Let me ask you about that because obviously when the when when the industry changed and and when either went to MP3s or people started pirating, you know what I mean? Yeah. And your livelihood is largely like most people's, but as an independent artist, your livelihood was largely, as you say, dependent upon CD sales. Right. Was that a scary time for you, or or? Uh, I, I never was one of those like anti-piracy guys. You know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a more go with the flow guy. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm like, uh, this is happening for a reason. You know, this is yeah. the world is changing. Yeah. It's better to, it's better to adapt with it than to fight the current. You know what I mean? But see, that's what, that's that grouch spirit. Yeah, it is. 
it, it's also that zen it's just like that regular basic like <laughs> that's how i feel you know what i mean yeah it's like oh everybody wants this like why am i gonna fight against that that's you know right. yeah so it did it did change my whole situation though yeah. like if it would have kept going the way like if i could still walk into amoeba all the all the mom and pop record stores and get ten thousand dollar checks and make the rounds like yeah i'd probably be doing better than i am now you know well um but having, monetarily okay you know but having said that as far as indie rappers go yeah you have a strong catalog i mean between the grouch albums grouch and g and e Grouch and yeah. I. Yep. I and I and the Grouch and and Living Legends. Living Legends. I did a I did a project with Merce Mer last year. Yeah. I mean, how many albums is that? Titles is that? I got CMA projects too, me and Tommy. How many albums is that? Titles. I don't I don't know. I didn't count them up in a long time. It's double digits. It's Yeah, it's double digits for sure. It's over, yeah. It's a, is it over 20? Yeah, it's over 20. That's a lot yeah. of albums, man. That's a yeah. It is. I mean, for any artist of any genre. Yeah. I mean, honestly, when I started, I, I mean, here's the thing. We were putting out stuff that wasn't like all, like we hadn't even mastered our craft. You know what I mean? And yeah. we were putting out raw stuff. Right. And I look back on a lot of the stuff and I can't like bear to listen to it, to be honest, you know, but then I also, but then there's part of me that like, I, you know, I, I love myself in a certain, you know, in a certain sense. And I know that was part of the journey. And so, right. like, I, I accept it in a certain sense. But I'm like, nah, like, I don't want to listen to that right now, you know. But what I was going to say is that I always, we were sampling jazz records. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So I would see all these different jazz artists playing on all these different other artists' records right on other on different labels and then like you would look at like somebody like billy cobom's like uh at his whole catalog and it'd be like damn he's got 30 albums right you know what i mean yeah and so that that was in my head the whole time mm. like i want to be like a jazz artist and at the end of it all yeah just have all these different projects if they can make 20 30 albums why can't i why shouldn't we be able right. and there and there was a time to to be honest where people were saying oh these guys are over flooding the market yeah you know what i mean they're like why are they putting out they're putting out so much stuff because their music isn't that quality you know there are just random random opinions like that you know yeah and there was a time where it's like people aren't going to want it as much because you're doing it too much you know and i always thought like nah that's for one, that's not totally true because people ate up what we gave to them for a long time. Right. And maybe at some point it gets like that. But nowadays, it, that's kind of like the M.O. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. Now, and, like, and, and in retrospect, like looking back at what you were doing. Yeah. Like, I know that my crew had a very different philosophy, you know? Yeah. What was it? I, I, the thing that I really respected about you guys was that you weren't afraid to develop in front of everybody's eyes right do, do you know what i'm saying like i do my crew was like we will sell no wine until it's time you know right. and even right. then we may not sell any wine you, yeah you know what i'm saying but over here what what i always admired about you guys was it was like the releases were just it was almost like strength of consciousness you know what I mean? yeah and it kind of what you're saying i i just was like you know Maybe as a listener, I was like, okay, this project sounds a little more developed than that one does, but right. it was fearless. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, that's the point I'm trying to get back to now. Okay. Because I started like that, Yeah. and then I got to the point where it's like, oh, man, these mixes got to be better. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. These uh, We got to get better features, you know, more, you know, more, right. whatever larger artists as features we got to get our shit on some you know commercials you know what i mean it's like you start going down this path of like polishing shit and or i did at least yeah and then and then i start you know sitting there with my pro tool sessions like clean up the space in between those two words right there yeah. you know when when i started with a raw four track in a simpty machine right and like 
and, and a sock over a microphone, you know? <laughs> yeah. But a, a, as you get more successful and you have more resources, it's natural that you want to try to improve right. it. You, yeah, yeah. Right? Or you, or you want you, you suddenly you have all these options and you want to try, you know what I mean? Right. And then and then one day I wake up and I heard Grouch move to Hawaii. Yeah. So how did that come about? Because that's a that's a departure, bro. You know, like yeah, uh, I I bought a house in the San Fernando Valley with my amoeba checks, right? <laughs> and, and, in the early in the early 2000s, like right around 2000. And so I lived here for a little while and I was thinking about this today and I, and I was thinking that I was and this is no disrespect to L.A., but Oakland, California is my first home. Maui, Hawaii is my second home. Mm. And L.A. will never be my home. Really? Yeah, even though I live here. Mm. It's just like, and I don't mean that, in, and that doesn't have to do with the people. It mostly has to do with the way, like, to be honest, this is this my, I'm part hippie, too, because I grew up in the Bay. Yeah. But the way the earth feels to me in those places in the way that I feel the love from the actual land and like, and my purpose when I'm in those spaces, Interesting. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit lost in LA to be honest. Okay. And, it, and, I also, and I also view it as a, like something that I'm supposed to go through and learn through to, to, to be better. Like if I can be my best self in LA, uh -huh. then I can be my best self anywhere. It's easy for me to be great in Hawaii. It's easy for me to be pretty, pretty damn good in the Bay. But L.A., there's a lot of uh, distraction and temptation. And I just don't vibe with the land. Mm. Or I, I don't know what to call it. I don't know if it's the land. It's just like the, 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 the mana, the energy. Okay. So what I'm saying that's a longer explanation to say I lived in the valley in LA for a while and then I had my daughter. And so when I had my daughter that like changed my whole outlook on everything immediately. Of course. And I was like, uh, and I, as I know it did for you when you had your son, I can just see it. But <laughs> as soon as that happened, I was like, we need to get the fuck out of here. You know, and like in Maui was a place that had always welcomed me with open arms. Mm -hmm. We had done living legends shows there and just had magical moments every, every time. You know, yeah. we had we done Honolulu a bunch and had magical moments. But Maui was like calling to me all the time. The people, the, the, the actual earth, the energy there. And so you had a spiritual connection with Maui. I do. I do. Yeah. I mean, there's there's even like deeper stuff like that goes back in my family that like I've put together that like I had. There's some story with me in this place. And so. So before I had my daughter, my ex-wife and I would go there all the time all the time all the time whenever it was time whenever we felt like we needed a vacation we'd go to maui and so there was a day where where we were like it's time for another vacation but we got to force ourselves to go somewhere different than maui or we're never going to see anywhere else in the world right right and so i get on, so i get on the computer and press a couple buttons looking for something other than maui and then like this like amazing maui opportunity just popped up on Craigslist or something, right? And yeah. so and so it was like this beautiful home that this guy wanted us to stay in for six months while he came over to California to to do weed or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> Grow weed in Northern California. Yeah. And so so we landed there in Maui for a trial six month period while my daughter was be you know, like one and a half or something like that. Yeah. And and the first day I got there we lived on this property that was all solar, all water, water from the rain catchment system. Um, there was no light pollution at the house. Like it was far enough off the highway that you couldn't see any lights if, you know, at night. And then what hit me the most being a music artist was at night, I couldn't hear a goddamn thing, like nothing. 
right? Like it, like it went, it went silent, and I thought, "Am I deaf? You know what I mean? Like, did, did my hearing go out or something?" And that was like, that was like the most, like reset, the magical resetting that I had. And so when I first got there, I was like, within two weeks, I was like, "There's no way I could. This is too crazy. It's too silent." It's too different than what I'm used to, and there's no way that I'm going to be able to make it through this six month trial. By the end of that six month six month trial, I was like, I don't ever want to go home. This is where this is where my soul feels good. Mm. And, and I and I called, you know, I ordered a fucking shipping container to like have all my shit brought over there at that point. That's and then I stayed. There. We stayed there for ten years. But the the main the main the thing that convinced us was just like, we feel good. We feel good here, you know? And so I went with that feeling all the way there. That's, That's right, what it man. Yeah, right. And it also shows sort of like a uh, kind of a, what's the word? Like like an intuitive connection within yourself to be, because I don't know that I would say that to myself. Like, wow, this feels good. I'm not going to leave. Yeah, I mean, to to be honest, there was a, there was a consciousness around the phrase or like we would go to maui and we would say damn we could live here forever you know like i've heard so many people say yeah. while they're there yeah and so i would come back home to california and i would and i would think about those words i could live here forever and, and then i would question it. i'd be like am i just saying that because i'm a tourist and i feel good right at that moment and like you know i i, I went into that to that sentence and i was like let me see you know let me see and uh, and i was like i have had a lot of people in my life give me good talks on like take the plunge you know what i mean if something feels uncomfortable there might be something beyond that for you you know what i mean and yeah. so i've had some like key people in my life tell me you know you may get to a point where you feel too scared to go further and that's the point that you might need to go further. Yeah, I, I think that that's really important, man. And and I think that, you know, as we wrap up this hour, I mean, we could talk forever, but I think... I know, bro. But, like, I, I, I thought I was going to be able to ask you shit, too, and the hour is already... But, you know, I just want to say that what you said, that you've had people that that, that have said, take tell, uh, encouraged you to take the plunge. For sure. I think you are that person for a lot of people. Just by the way that you've lived your life, you know, the way that you've released your music, the attitude that you've had towards your career, towards your life. I think you have been that person for a lot of people, man. And I just want to say thank you for doing this. Let's do this again sometime, man. Yeah. Promise me we'll do it yeah, again. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I want to say thank you. And I, I have so much respect for you, too. And a lot of the stuff you're saying to me goes for you. I've been inspired by you. And um, I know you're that person for other people, too. And I uh, and I thank you for saying that about me, because that's something that I would hope that I would like, you know, that would make me happy if if I was that person for somebody, because those people who were that for me meant a lot. You know, you absolutely yeah. are. And so thank you, man. And take care of yourself and have a good weekend, man. I really appreciate you doing this, man. Thank you. You too, brother. All okay. right. The ground. LB. Yo, thank you for listening to Mobile Homies. Make sure you subscribe and hit me with a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you catch your podcasts. For more content, hit up lyricsborn.com. Love y'all. Uh.